0: Hey, thank you all for having me. My name is Andrew Cannell, and I am the Director of Student Ministries here at Grace. And believe it or not, I've only been here for, I think, maybe a month and a half now. But I just feel like I've gotten to know some of you guys so well. You have shown me a lot of hospitality and love. And I know it's not because I'm just the youth minister. Because I remember when I first came here, kind of incognito to kind of scope the place out to see if I wanted this to be my job, I had to, like, push people like, Go join this ministry. Come follow, sign me up over here. And I'm like, I'm just touring. Um, so you guys are just so good at love and hospitality. I really appreciate it. One thing I like to do, um, just in case if my friends on the front row fall asleep in my talk, is I like to give you guys a main idea. So at least that way, afterwards, you know what we were talking about. And that is, I just today is to get to know me a little bit better and to understand my vision for youth ministry. I want to warn you, if you're new here, this is not what a typical sermon is like. They're usually very on point biblically and really solid. Um, But one leader told me, Andrew, we think you're here for the long haul. That's why we called you here. And so I thought it was important for you guys to just get to know a little bit, who is this person you guys got to do youth ministry to be a part of your church family? So, who is this weirdo up here? My name is, again, Andrew, and believe it or not, I'm one of the few people who was born and raised in Bluffton, South Carolina. I am from this community. I went to M.C. Riley Elementary School, and I graduated from Bluffton High School. I do like to brag, I won the Mr. Bobcat Award. It was a men's pageant in Bluffton High School. That's right. And... I'm, I'm infamous because I met someone on the street, and I said, you know, I, I won the Mr. Bobcat Award. And they looked at me, and they're like, you're too much of a loser to won that award. <laughs> and then they thought for a second, like, well, wait a second. Are you the guy that won because he, like, preached as his talent? And I was like, well, it's a public school, so I called it public speaking. But, yes, I was the one who won because I told people that if God could use me, he certainly can use a bunch of awesome high schoolers. And so that is actually how I won that competition, despite what my family told me. Um, Another big award I got when I lived here in Bluffton was in Troop 241. If any of you guys are Boy Scouts, I got the Eagle Scout Award. I did. Thank you, guys. It's a very big achievement. And of you guys that went to Oakity Elementary School, I did a fitness trail, and I have yet to go back because I'm just afraid that's been demolished and torn down at this point. But I, that is what my project was, was a fitness trail for the school. As I went home, I was going through all my stuff, and I found this plunger. And this is a very special plunger <laughs> because... It was what they used as trophies for my home church. I was a high school volunteer for middle school students, believe it or not, and the middle school students thought I was the coolest high school student. They didn't know better at the time, but I was very honored by them saying that. And then you'll hear me say this joke, because I want to say it all the time, but I like to point out that me and Matthew are one of five people who graduated from Erskine College in due west South Carolina. I graduated with a degree in Christian education and a minor in philosophy. Uh, I am super like geeky and nerdy. I'm one of those people who like Christian rock music unironically. Like Skillet is my favorite band. You'll see me up there. I got to see them live and get a picture taken with them. I played the flute and was on the tennis team growing up, but I am so bad at both those things. The only reason I bring it up is to say I've had experience doing those things, not that I could actually perform or play any of those things anymore. I am a guy who likes video games, and anyone who plays video games, of course, played Super Smash Brothers. Um, That's me and my friends around the TV back when TVs were square and not as flat. I went to one of my youth. They said, Andrew, I'll draw you anything. And so I picked all the geekiest things I love the most. I said, I want a picture of Batman riding the dragon from How to Train Your Dragon and wielding a lightsaber. And that's what you see in that coloring over there. I was very impressed with them. Now, I need to be serious for a second. There has been slander going around this church. A young man by the name Wells Palmer has gone around telling people that I like Superman. And I can tell you that is not the case, despite all the decorations they put up there. I have been a Batman fan since I was four years old. That is legitimately a picture of me as a four-year-old and my Batman little four-wheeler. I have always loved Batman and do not listen to any of those youth say anything different, okay? If you want to argue with me why you're wrong about Batman not being better than Superman, feel free to talk to me after the service. <laughs> I do like some outdoorsy stuff. Being an Eagle Scout, backpacking is something I'm into. Um, one of my favorite stories, if you ever go in my office, you'll see a picture, um, this framed, says, blessed are the peacemakers. And I would love to tell you guys the story behind that in full if you ever meet me in my office. But the short story is my great aunt, who I cannot tell you her age because she will kill me. But my great aunt wanted to go do a section of the Appalachian Trail as a part of her bucket list. And so me and my family were like, all right, we can't say no to you. And so we did the first 10 miles of Springer Mountain. It was very impressive. My great aunt beat us all up there. I like kayaking. Um, there's a funny story over here. This is me and the notorious Allie Rarden and her friend Taryn. And if you asked her friend Taryn if she ever comes to visit us, she will tell you I tried to kill them on that kayaking trip. Um, I promise I'm way better at kayaking than they make me out to be. I am deathly afraid of heights. One way I try to combat that fear of heights is I used to do some rock climbing, not so much anymore, but my biggest accomplishment was at James Island State Park, and I got to do a 50-foot climbing wall, and I was really impressed with that. My mom was like, Andrew's laughing up there, and the leader had to be like, no, he's shaking up there. That's why his legs... Speaking of my lovely mother, she's back there in the audience. This is my mother and her rat that she adores called Coco in her hands. <laughs> I promise you all, I love animals. Dogs are amazing. M- Matthew's going to do some spiritual counseling with me and this rat over here. Where there's some issues there. But until that day, um, other people I'm coming back to by being back in Bluffton are my best friend, Jordan, and his wife, Alex. They just recently got married and be in prayer. I'm trying to plant some seeds to get them to come here to Grace Community with us. Another buddy of mine, his name is Chris in the far right of that picture. You might know him as the guy who works at Publix. Um, He won't be ever joining us because he is the bass player for Cornerstone Church, which is awesome that he's serving the church. And while I like not to make this too public, I am friends with Allie Raritan from back in high school. I did have an association with her. Friendship might be too strong, but an association with her. (laughs) Going to a little bit of youth ministry, um, one thing I think is very important is that your relationship with Christ is not a Sunday morning thing. It is your entire life. And so I like to remind youth, one, they're just cared about. So things that they care about, I want to care about. I want to join them and see them do their sports or their recitals or their art fairs. If they love it, I want to be a part of it. But I also want to encourage them because this is a chance for them to be a light. When we have youth who, like, lift up the football players after they tackle them down because they love and care for them, that's a way they get to show Christian love. Or when you see people encouraging and cheering their teammates on in a volleyball game, that's a way that you get to be a when you play with integrity. So I like to encourage the youth that not only are they playing well, but they're imitating God with the things that he's gifted them with. I like just youth ministry in general. Here's a few highlights of my season of um, six years at the previous church I was at. One thing I did is I forget the complete context, but there's some competition with the children's minister, and I had to get pied in the face after church. And I think it's important to know, like, being a fool for Christ is a good thing. Like, being a little silly and ridiculous because it blesses other people and it glorifies God, I'm totally for it. So you're probably going to see me doing silly stuff. I know for a fact that this trunk or treating, you're going to see me be a little silly and ridiculous. I love seeing communities grow. And this picture over here, this is us after a five-day summer program where a bunch of young people got to not only grow closer in their relationship with the Lord— but they got to apply it by learning to love each other. And that's what I kind of hope to see as we grow as a community, as a youth group here. I know you guys can already tell I love the sound of my own voice. So I really like to teach. Teaching is definitely something I enjoy doing. I just have a passion of teaching people that this is this text, this Bible is not old and antiquated, but it actually deals with our lives today. I do like playing games. Oh not done yet. I do like playing games. Um, This is an image of one of my kids. We were paintballing together one-on-one. And I want you to know, he beat me because he cheated, all right? The other kids told him I was coming behind him. I would have totally won if it wasn't for that. And more importantly, here's what I really love about youth ministry, is when we get young people to be just as involved in ministry as anybody else. I love seeing young people love the Lord, and whether that's serving in the booth back there, whether that's helping with children's ministry, praying for other people, seeing someone who's lonely and saying, I'm going to take my time to care for them. I jokingly tell people my goal is for them to do my job for me. But in all seriousness, like I want to see them doing just as much work for God's kingdom as anyone else here. And in that picture, that one's a touching one for me because that's all the former youth from the last church I was at They went in front of the entire congregation, the entire church, and they laid their hands on me, and they prayed that the Lord would use me here at Grace Community Church. And it's those kind of things that I want to see youth being involved in doing. I thought it would be important to share with you guys a little bit about my own personal story as well. Uh, My mom told me that we were going to go to church, and I was like, "Um, I'd rather play video games and watch TV, My mom's like, who do you think you are? And so I went to church. And because my mom forced me to go to church, I met a man named Arnold Bradshaw. And in God's sovereignty, this guy was actually good friends and kind of like tennis rivals with my grandfather who moved to the Bluffton area. So I went to church under him, was taught basic Sunday school classes. He moved to a different church. A few years later, I followed him to that church. And he says, Andrew, you know how I teach Sunday school. Why don't you be my assistant? And that was my first taste of being a leader in a church. And so I assisted him in his Sunday school classes. And then it dawned on me a little bit um, maybe I should know a little bit more about this Bible. So I started reading it. And reading Genesis 1 as a middle school student is not only confusing, it's very scandalous. There are some interesting stories in Genesis 1. And that's where this guy over here, um, or not Genesis, just Genesis in general, uh, Stephen Chisholm comes into play. You might know him as the youth minister or pastor at St. Luke's. He was my youth minister growing up. And I would go to him with all the most ridiculous, uncomfortable passages found in Genesis. I'd be like, explain this one to me, Steve. Why am I teaching this one to children, Steve? And instead of him being irritated with me, he lovingly listened to me. Sometimes he'd say, I actually don't have the answer, but I knew he cared about me, and he cared about my problems, and that sowed seeds into my life. And that was really important, because I don't know if you noticed, when I talked about people I was returning home to, my dad wasn't a part of that list. It's a beautiful picture of my parents on their wedding day, and if you need to know anything about how my dad is awesome, anybody willing to wear the Robin costume from Batman and Robin, has to be a pretty great guy, okay? But my dad also dealt with some addictions. Some he conquered, which was awesome. He also battled against mental illness. And he sadly lost to that battle. And so here I am, a middle school student, slowly learning that there's this God in the universe, and having to reconcile that my father died. And the one question people always ask you when you lose someone is, what happens to your loved one when they die? I didn't know. Not with any confidence, so I decided I was going to pray. And I prayed to God. I said, look, I'm going to make a deal with you because I thought I could do that. I said, look, I'll give you my life if you just answer this one question. You just have to do one thing. What happens when people die? I don't care what the answer is. I just want to know what is the answer. And without going into the minutiae things, God revealed himself in a powerful way, and he let me know that there was a place for my dad and for a person like me and his family for all eternity. And that changed my life. It made me, amen, it made me want to live for this God who cares for broken and messed up people. But God wasn't done putting people in my life. He then brought this guy named Danny, who taught me that being a Christian was whether you're playing video games or eating meals or going on walks, He always loved Jesus and talked about Jesus. And then I met these two young or to these two ladies called the Elizabeths. Yes, their both names was Elizabeth, and they taught me that I could be loved in my brokenness but also that I needed to repent and be a better role model. And so they both showed me how to be loved, but also be refined and transformed. And then, you guys might know this guy as the owner of the Corner Perk. I know this as the youth minister who said, Andrew, you want to lead for the first time? And I worked really hard on this 20-minute talk that only lasted two minutes. But he gave me opportunity and opportunity because he saw potential. And then... Here's my buddy Josh, or Mr. Hicks, as some of you guys know him, and he helped refine me and sand me, and he gave me my first internship as a youth leader. And what I want you guys to see is what God did is he placed multiple people in my life to plant seeds, to water them, but it was by God that they grew and have the faith that stands before you. And this is a misconception I think we need to worry about. Because I think sometimes, I think some of you thought we hired me because I was going to miraculously come here and I was going to revive youth ministry and I was going to change everything and everything was going to be great because we have a new youth minister. And I hate to say I'm going to have to humble your expectations. It's not really about me, but it's about the God who chooses to not only use me, but all of us. We do this as a team. There's an argument going on. Some people are like, we don't need youth ministers. We just need our pastor, Matthew, to do all the teaching. He's the better one to do it. And there are some people who are like, no, no, no. We need families. Families are the people to disciple and raise children. And then some people are like, no, no, no. They just need a Bible. They don't even need their parents. And it's like, guys, you're missing the point. We're all doing this because it's God who empowers us. This is a real argument That even happened centuries ago in the church of Corinth where essentially they were saying, oh, these leaders, that's why I'm a good Christian. Someone was like, I follow this guy named Apollo. That's why I, Apollos, that's why I'm a good Christian. Another one's like, I follow the teachings of Paul. That makes me really great. And some snotty guy was like, well, I follow Jesus. And Paul complains. He's like, guys, you're missing the point. He says, What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For you are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. The point of this passage is not for us to be thinking, oh, this one person is going to transform the young people or anybody in discipleship. It's that God, first of all, it is God, empowers us, the church. And I'm a part of that. I didn't come here to say this is all you guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm a part of that. But so are you guys, and so is Matthew, and so are our parents. And so I'm excited that today I get to encourage you all that I'm a part of what God is doing in something way bigger than myself. Because at the end of the day, all we are called to do is plant our seeds by sharing with people God's love, by sharing them the scriptures of hope, to water them by helping hold people accountable, by helping love. people each other during brokenness and then we simply watch as it grows from God's hands not our own so let me go thank you guys let me quickly pray for us dear Heavenly Father I thank you for your spirit that you and your mercy choose to use us that you choose to use all of us I ask you to use even the young people that we're talking about, that they're called to make disciples, to help plant seeds and water them. Let us all encourage one another and be unified in the fact that we are your workers, Lord. In your name we pray.
1: Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 14 next week. But this week we're going to take um, uh, the title of the message today is Jesus and the Sacraments. And there's basically uh, two sacraments in Scripture in the New Testament that uh, is for the New Testament church, and that is baptism and communion. And we're going to look at them both uh, briefly at baptism and more, um, more into the communion. And some of you are looking at your watches thinking, is Matthew going to go <laughs> as long as he normally does? And the answer is no, I won't. Um, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 8 and look at baptism. I want to talk about baptism just for a minute. Uh, the Greek word uh, baptism comes from the word baptizo, which carries with it a couple of different definitions. Uh, one of them is uh, to dip. Uh, one of them is to immerse. And another is uh, uh, to cover. Um, and it's used 127 times in the New Testament. It's commanded by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 uh, to go into all the world, uh, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, what we're getting ready to read is a picture of baptism and it, a person's life, and it's really a picture of Christ in the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 8. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. One of the things we say when we go to the beach baptism and we take the person getting baptized is we say basically what Romans chapter 6 says. We say, buried with Christ in his death, and then we wait. (laughs) I'm just kidding. If you're willing to get baptized, (laughs) buried with Christ in his death, arise and walk in the newness of life. The old life with Christ has been buried, died, dead, and now because of the Spirit's work in the believer's life, they're raised to life in a newness of life. Baptism is associated with confessing and repenting of sin and then believing the gospel message that the Spirit infills the believer to live what God has called them to live. A newness of life. Water baptism is a representative of cleansing, of regeneration, and of repentance. Now, this is very important, though. Baptism reflects new life, but does not cause new life. Baptism is the sign or the symbol or or the outward covenant that is being displayed of God's grace. Baptism has been said that it is the work of the Spirit and the Lord's Supper is the work of Jesus. And as we read in Romans passage, baptism goes through the work of the cross. It's a recognition of what God is doing and has is continuing to do in our newness of life. Baptism is an outward sign or statement of obedience that you are declaring and proclaiming Christ's work in you. Baptism identifies you with other people who have Uh, identified themselves with Jesus in the same way. So if you're thinking about baptism, don't think about how long we'll hold you under. (laughs) But think about uh, your decision, your declaration, your celebration, if you will, of what God has done in your heart and mind. There's a sign-up sheet next week, October 16th. There will be a celebration Sunday where we will baptize folks. And like uh, J.P. said earlier, if you're not being baptized... Please come and celebrate with those who are. So baptism is the first sacrament of Jesus. The second one is communion. I want to talk about this morning uh, communion. Now communion has been called different things because even in this tradition of being a non-denominational church, you have come from different church backgrounds. And maybe you have heard communion described different ways. Maybe you called it the Lord's Supper. Maybe you called it communion. Maybe you called it the Eucharist, which really means just the thanksgiving of God's grace. But all of it is, as one author said, a study of the Lord's Supper is a soul-stirring experience because of the depth of its meaning. Now, when I was growing up in the tradition that I grew up in, I would get to church, and I would see what you see, and I would go, oh. It's communion this week. The service is going to go so long, and we're going to be late for lunch. But the Lord's Supper really has deep roots from an age-old celebration of the Passover on the eve of Jesus' death. So there is some rich meaning behind what we celebrate In communion, communion is an integral part of Christian worship. Now, typically at Grace, typically at Grace, we participate in communion on the first Sunday of every month. And you're looking at me going, Matthew, this is the second Sunday of the month. I said typically. Typically, we do it on the first Sunday of the month. To constantly set ourselves up in a, uh, not out of routine, but out of a constant rehearsal of Jesus' work on the cross. Now, if you remember, the Passover was the most sacred feast of the Jewish uh, religious year. The Passover rem- uh, helped the Jewish people remember the final plague in Egypt, if you remember this, when the firstborn of the Egyptians uh, was going to be slaughtered. And the Israelites were to take a lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood over the doorposts so that the death angel would pass over them. That's where we get the term Passover. And so for the Jewish people, God's command was throughout the generations to observe the Passover feast, and it would be celebrated. Now this all started, if you want to read back through this, in Exodus chapter 12. Passover required the death of a lamb. And it looked forward to the coming of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, which was fulfilled at the Lord's Supper. Now there's a new covenant that replaced the Old Covenant, when Christ, the Passover Lamb, was sacrificed. In Hebrews, it talks about this sacrificial system of the Jewish Old Testament people was now no longer needed because of Jesus. And we'll look at that more in just a minute. Now, Hebrews 9.22 says this, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I remember it as, as there is no remission For sin. So it's important to remember that in order for there to be forgiveness, blood had to be shed. Sins were not forgiven based on confession. Sins are are forgiven based on a blood sacrifice. And this is how it worked in the Old Testament. Blood sacrifices of bulls and goats and birds were to atone or to cover the sins of the people. If you read through Leviticus 16, if you're looking for some very interesting reading, uh, Leviticus 16 talks about all these, um, these sacrifices. But of course, there's not enough bulls and goats and birds to cover all the sins. So God gives the Jewish people a gift in the Day of Atonement. And one day a year, the high priest would take a bull and sacrifice the bull on the basis of all the sins of the people of the nation. Now, interestingly, there would also be two goats as part of this. One goat would be sacrificed as well, one slain on the altar. But there would also be another goat that was sent away as the scapegoat. Now, here's how the scapegoat worked. A scapegoat is a person who is blamed for the wrongdoings, mistakes, or faults of others. And how it worked was this. The priest would come and symbolically lay his hands on the goat as a a pouring out of sins of all the people onto this goat. And then the goat would be paraded through the city and then driven out into the wilderness, symbolically showing that everyone's sins had been carried away, covered up. And after the sacrifice of goats and the bulls and the birds, what would the people do? Well, they would celebrate. Why? Because their sins have been removed. But the bad news is this, that right after the Day of Atonement, there was more sin. And just like us, the people would sin again, and those sins would add up day after day, month after month, until the next year when the bull and goats would take away their sins. Now, there's something important I want us to pick up on. This word atone can have a meaning of to cover up. But the word atone does not mean take away. And so it's really interesting when John the Baptist introduces Jesus, what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. Not just covers them up. John is signaling something new in Jesus, that he is the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. Hebrews tells us that the sacrificial system was only a shadow of the good things to come, which was Jesus. Jesus, in contrast with the high priest who would have to come over and over every year and make sacrifices, Jesus offered his sacrifice once and for all. Hebrews 7.27, Unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day. He did this once for all when he offered himself. Hebrews 9.12, He entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.26, He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove the sin how? By the sacrifice of himself. It is as if God, on the cross, did symbolically what the priest did in the Old Testament, laid his hands of all the sin, past, present, and future, on Jesus. Jesus was our scapegoat and took away all the sins of the world, once and for all. Whew. Jesus does not have to offer another sacrifice because of his one-time death death. On the cross. One author said it like this He did this one time for all time, one time for all people, one time for all the sins of all the people for all the time. You got it? That's why I love Horatio Spafford's third verse of It Is Well With My Soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Past, present, future, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. So the Lord's Supper, this Christian communion, the Eucharist, is a remembrance of what Christ did as a fulfillment of the Passover. Remember what Jesus is doing in the Last Supper. The Last Passover Supper in the upper room with his disciples. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And he, Jesus, had taken some bread and gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for the new covenant of my blood. Jesus, with his disciples, breaks the bread as a symbolic saying that this is my body broken for you. Do this, whenever you do it, in remembrance of me. Up until now, when the disciples uh, and all the Jewish people saw the bread, they thought of Egypt and the fleeing of Egypt. And now they think of Jesus to symbolize Christ's body. In the Passover, Jesus gives his disciples a visual And he says this is the cup of the new blood the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you remember without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins so what we sang earlier if it wasn't for the cross as the bulls and goats and lambs had been bled before Jesus the lamb of god would bleed and be our sacrifice After Jesus uh, finishes the Passover meal, he leaves the disciples. He's betrayed as predicted by Judas. And the following day, he fulfills what he talks about the night before, the crucifixion on the cross. The Lord's Supper is found in all four Gospels. And here's the application. The substitutional death of Christ brought forgiveness of sins. His loss of life made opportunity for us to live forever. That is why we reverently celebrate. So as you can tell this morning, we're going to partake of communion. Seth and the team are going to come and lead us in a couple of songs at the end. The Apostle Paul also wrote something about the communion that the Gospels did not include. And he said this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of of the Lord in an unworthy manner, may be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So it's been asked, what does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? Well, I think part of the unworthy manner is to have the attitude that I had when I came as a kid. (sighs) This is going to take forever. Maybe an unworthy manner is to disregard the true meaning of the bread and cup. Maybe an unworthy manner is in our mindset that this is just a ritual, a routine that we go through, an add-on, if you will, for the service. Maybe it may mean to come to an unworthy manner that you come to this table flippantly, or with unconfessed sin. It may also mean that you're here this morning not as a believer in Jesus, And that there's a disconnect between communion, the Lord's Supper, and your own life with Jesus. And Jesus screams with the cross and with communion, You are welcome and free to follow me, to partake, to belong. By accepting me as your Lord and Savior. I like the study of words, where they come from. The word remember is this word re, which means again, and member, which means to belong. And so when we come to the table, we again remember, we we again get connected to what Jesus has done for us. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, again, be connected to what I've done. You can tell the communion elements are up front. If you'll leave from the right, pick up your elements, go back into your seat on the left-hand side, hold the elements, and we'll all partake of communion together at the end. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you again for this time, and I thank you for this moment in the service where we can remember, that we can reconnect, that we can understand anew sacrifice, God help us understand that this is not something we add on but we think about without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness for our sins and so that's why we celebrate that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world help us we pray with this in Jesus name, Amen you come and protect the communion